0: Here we go, a brand new edition of Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. How you doing, everybody? Steve Cashel, your Chicago Bulls radio host, joined this week by Dr. Nick Verma. He is the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, subbing this week for Dr. Brian Cole, my usual co-host. Dr. Nick, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Steve? Good. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, White Sox doing uh, doing well. You've got kind of those dog days of the season right now, but trying to keep guys healthy, right?
1: Yeah, no question. You know, August when, unfortunately, you're not looking at a playoff spot is, is a hard place to be in the baseball season, but... You know, the great news about the White Sox is when we look to next year and beyond, uh, everybody's just so excited about the potential for for this team and and everyone we have in our minor league organization, as well as all the development that's happened on the major league side.
0: Well, good. I want to start this show, Doc, talking about a former White Sox pitcher. He now pitches for the Boston Red Sox. Pitcher Chris Sale, we find out this week, will not require Tommy John surgery to fix his current elbow injury. And Sale evaluated by Dr. James Andrews. We've had Dr. Jimmy Andrews, as Brian Cole calls it, many times on this show. And uh, Sale was evaluated by Dr. James Andrews and confirmed that Sale has inflammation in his left elbow. Treated it with a PRP injection, the platelet-rich plasma. So take me through that, if you will. That's what we do on this show. You being the expert, uh, explain to our listeners what PRP is and the difference between having a Tommy John surgery for Chris Sale
1: or the PRP. So, Steve, as we've talked about on this show before, the biggest issue for elbows in, in baseball players is the Tommy John injury, which is, as we call it in medicine, the ulnar collateral ligament. It's the ligament on the inside aspect of the elbow that provides stability to the elbow and is placed under significant stress when you're throwing a baseball. When you have these injuries, uh, they cause pain, they cause inability to generate velocity and loss of control, which is obviously you know uh, not a good thing for a professional pitcher. Uh, When we're deciding how to treat these injuries, what we're really looking at is, is it a partial injury or is it a complete injury, and is the injury at the top of the ligament or the bottom of the ligament? And that's what helps us to predict prognosis. In this case, based on the data that we have available, this appears to be a partial tear or just some inflammation of the ligament, what we would call a, a ligament sprain, not a ligament tear itself. When that happens, there's an opportunity to treat this without surgery. Um, And we do that either by or as a combination of resting the player, so generally it requires somewhere between a 6- and 12-week shutdown, medications that they take by mouth to try to decrease inflammation, and then a gradual build back up. PRP is a blood product injection where we actually take a sample of the patient's blood, we spin it in a centrifuge, and we try to harvest the layer of platelets. Platelets are the little parts of our blood that help with clotting, but they're important because they contain numerous growth factors. And the idea is you inject it into the site of injury to try to stimulate a healing response. And if we look at the data for partial tears treated either with or without PRP, the prognosis is actually fairly reasonable. Somewhere between 50 to 70% may actually make it back to pitching at the same level and be able to avoid a surgery
0: so you're looking at sale maybe out i think they were guessing predicting 6 weeks or so so otherwise if you have tommy john dr nick how long is he out
1: it's 14 months and you know that's an important point because when we make these decisions particularly at a major league level there's so much that goes into it in addition to the injury so if you look at sale for example if he had tommy john today he would not be looking at coming back until the 20 to 20 2021 season If he has Tommy John in October, he's still looking at the 2021 season. So essentially, we've got a little time to play with house money to see if we can resolve this without having to put him through a surgery. In addition, you know, the Red Sox are currently on the outside looking in, but not inconceivable that they could make it to the playoffs, and if they're playing in in the end of October, then this is the one opportunity that would give him a chance to come back and pitch in a playoff scenario. So those are the type of factors that we think about. Contract status, the age of the player, all those things go into our decision-making about how we treat this on a professional athlete.
0: Visiting with Dr. Nick Verma, he's my co-host this week. Subbing for Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel at Sports Medicine Weekly, talking about Chris Sale the 30-year-old former White Sox pitcher now of course with the Boston Red Sox and I mentioned 30 years old age goes into that as too uh, as well Doc?
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, if you Chris probably still has uh, you know 4, 5, 6 years remaining, but if you get a player that's at the end of his career and you're looking at taking him away from the game for 14 months, that's probably the, a career-ending injury. So, in those situations, we're certainly much more aggressive about trying things like PRP or stem cells or alternative treatment modalities just to give him a chance to come back in a relatively short period of time and extend their career one more year or two more years. What
0: happens, Doc, when uh, obviously the Red Sox, as the White Sox do, you're the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox. The Red Sox have their own head team physician, but a player like Chris Sale says, well, I want to go to Dr. James Andrews. How does that process work? Does it start with the agent or the GM or all those people involved?
1: I think it's involve, involvement at all levels. And, look, the first rule of being a head team physician, particularly at a professional level, is you check your ego at the door. The The goal here is to provide the best care that we can to these athletes. And if that requires other sets of eyes or opinions or two or three people putting their head together to decide what's in the best interest of the player, that's what we do. And, and you know, fortunately we're, we are – We have guys like Dr. Jim Andrews or Neil Aletraj or others that are around the country and really super specialized in baseball. Um, that we that we lean on and collaborate with to, to help us make these uh, decisions and to either reassure patients or players that that uh, they're making the right decisions.
0: Take me inside the White Sox. What have your, some of your uh, rookies learned about uh, health and fitness and sports and medicine uh, that maybe they didn't know what they were before in the, in the minor leagues?
1: Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that they learn in the, as they come up in the, in the major leagues is just the day-to-day grind and the fact that they've really got to change the way that they take care of their body and manage their workload. And that's what we really try to uh, teach them. You know, the young guys that, that come up, um, some of them come from other countries, you know, it really is understanding what is involved in completing a major league season and remaining healthy. And I think that's the biggest learning curve, at least on the medicine or nutrition or sports conditioning side that these, that, that the young guys have to learn is How do you actually make it through a season that plays 162 games?
0: And give us a takeaway, if you can, for the parents out there. My boys just went through another long season, 60-65 games of pitching. Uh, We're really um, not pitching at all now, throwing it all. Uh, I think that's what I've learned is to shut them down. But uh, for the softball players out there, for the people going into other sports, uh, shut it down. Now, if you pitched a lot of innings this summer, is that the takeaway?
1: We're getting into fall ball season. You know, most of this will wrap up by end of September, October. Shut it down. Wait until after Christmas, and then you get back into it after that. But if you can take those three months, October, November, December, let your arm rest, play basketball, do something else, that's the recipe for longevity as a baseball player.
0: What have you seen this summer, Doc, uh, from the baseball pitchers, the softball girls' pitchers, um, as far as uh, pitching injuries? Is, is it mostly the elbow? Is it shoulder?
1: So we don't see the elbow in in the windmill pitchers. They just don't put the stress on it that okay. the overhand-throwing athletes do. The big issue for the, for the windmill pitchers is the shoulder, um, and that's where we deal with most of their problems. It's either sh- uh, shoulder or it's bigger injuries in terms of the core, or lower extremities where they're really generating their velocity and it's amazing how much these girls throw in in comparison to the boys you know they'll go to a tournament a 3-day tournament and pitch in three games that would never happen uh, on the men's side right. it's amazing how durable they are the problem is we just don't have the data like we do in the overhand throwing athlete to say this is the pitch limit this is how much rest you need this is the recovery time it's a little bit more fly by night But people are starting to look at that in more detail to come up with recommendations about what's safe for the women when they play.
0: Great stuff. Let's move on. Moving on, I want to talk a little bit, we can, Doc, about uh, sports supplement drinks. Okay, And here we are in the kind of end of August, and it's hot and it's humid out there, and the whole key is hydration,
1: right? Yeah, no question. I mean, obviously on the professional side uh, for the White Sox, that's one of the key messages that we give all the guys at this point is making sure we're monitoring and and keeping up on their hydration status because, you know, if you're playing a sport at this time of year, we've got high school guys going back to uh, camp for football and, you know, they're out there doing two a days and what can be 90, 95, 100 degree weather, we factor in the humidity. Uh, the hydration really becomes a critical issue, just not only for performance, but frankly, for safety.
0: Well, there's a new type of uh, water out there on the market, and we wanted to bring on the founder of Hello Water. He is Tom Buschke, a certified nutritionist and entrepreneur of Hello Water. And Tom, uh, thanks so much for joining us here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Doc and I were kind of get into the uh, sports supplement drinks and the importance of the hydration. So, uh, Tell me how you guys came up with Hello Water, and this is a fiber-infused water, specifically ready to drink.
2: It sure is, and I appreciate you guys having me on this morning. Uh, the ra- the brainchild really came from wanting to create a modern delivery system for for fiber, one of the most important nutrients uh, that that people need on a daily basis, and one of the the most that. Uh, people are not getting right when you look into these statistics and studies and, and you guys are probably familiar with this you find out that only three percent of americans are getting enough fiber on a daily basis so our thought process behind LO water was to create this very great tasting all natural make sure there's no sugar in it so it doesn't affect blood sugar um, and give and give consumers five grams of soluble fiber with every 16 ounce with every 16 ounce beverage
0: Visiting again with Tom Bushke of Hello Water, the founder. What are some of the common attributes that resonate with uh, nearly every diet, Tom?
2: Yeah, you know, there, there's so many diets out there. We, we've all, we've, we've probably all tried quite a quite a few. Um, but there's three things that stay pretty consistent. Um, it's to, it's to reduce or eliminate sugar. It's to add more more or to drink more water, and to add fiber. And that essentially is what Hello Water is in in one bottle.
0: And how do we put the how do we put the fiber in the water? That's what I'm I'm thinking right off the top of my head, right?
2: Yeah, that's a proprietary process that we came up with that we worked uh, really hard to do. We wanted to make sure that the fiber was odorless, it was tasteless, uh, there was no texture to it, there was no grittiness to it. Uh, one of the biggest compliments we get is I can't believe there's fiber in here because I don't taste anything at all. Uh the the other the other biggest compliment that we get is our taste, right? You you've got to have something that really tastes good. Uh, Otherwise, no matter how important fiber is, people aren't going to come back and drink it again and again. You mentioned hydration at the beginning of it, and that is extremely important. I think half of our consumers just drink it for the hydration part because they don't like plain water. I don't know how many times I sit down with someone and they just say, your water is literally saving my life because I've never drank enough water before, and yours tastes so good I'm able to do it. And then we get that added fiber bonus as well.
1: Tom, you know, living in the sports medicine world, we see a lot of different products come across our desks with regard to whether it's water products or nutritional drinks or nutritional supplements. I can honestly say that thinking back, I I don't remember fiber being um, kind of highlighted as one of the ingredients for these products. You know, typically when I think of, of fiber, we think about it being marketed to a geriatric population, but I've got to believe that there's benefits that all people can enjoy. What are some of the benefits that that would lead people to choose a fiber-infused water over some of the other products on the market?
2: Yeah, and you're absolutely correct. And to preface that, you know, we live in a world that's on the go, and everybody's eating convenient foods. They're probably processed, they're packaged, um, and they're missing out key nutrients. One of them being fiber. So to create to create something that can that can be drank on the go um, and give someone twenty percent of their, their overall daily fiber intake in just one bottle is is where we where we want it to go. Whether that's whether the benefits, whether you're drinking it for hydration or to help lower cholesterol, or just to improve gut health, or even to curb appetite, you know, these are all really, really key factors and, and attributes that fiber delivers.
0: And uh, does hello water, Tom, come in different flavors, I imagine?
2: Yeah, we we started with five different flavors: a mixed berry an orange mango, a, a really nice cucumber lime. Um, we've got a, a lemon lime and a pineapple coconut. All all really fantastic, no aftertaste. And again, our biggest compliment is I can't believe there's no sugar in here, because there is some sweetness without it being too overwhelming. And, and- we, we, we deliver. We just
1: deliver a really nice flavor.
0: And, Doc, uh, the fiber is is important, though, isn't it, for everyone's uh,
1: intake? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think it's probably one of the list of forgotten uh, nutrition, I wouldn't call it a supplement, but nutritional requirements that are out there uh, that people just don't think about in terms of how much they're getting. Certainly sometimes it's recommended for different conditions that Tom mentioned, but but I think it is probably one of those um, nutritional factors that we all take for granted, so to speak. Tom, I'm interested in, in hearing... Are there different types of fiber? Is there a specific type that you chose? How, how do we get this, and where does it come from in, an, in a normal diet?
2: Yeah, there's two different types of fiber, insoluble and soluble. And, and obviously ours is soluble, so it mixes with water. Insoluble and, and is great for improving gut health and curbing appetite, a couple of those things. And insoluble fiber is great for keeping you more regular. Uh, those are the two different kind of, kind of fibers. Uh, and to add to your point about it being a, a forgotten nutrient, um, it, it really is, and one of the things that, uh, you know, that we wanted to do is make sure that people could could conveniently get their, their fiber without, you know, without without any second-guessing.
1: So just to help people understand, the insoluble, is that the type of fiber that you buy and you put in an orange juice in the morning and it kind of clumps it up and then you drink it down? Is that the difference?
2: Yeah, that, that's definitely the difference, um, you know. to to consume fiber these days you're looking at at uh either doing it with a powder which a lot of people don't prefer to do or you're going to get it with extra carbs and extra and extra sugar uh with the keto movement we've got a very a very close keto following uh with the keto movement these days uh you look at that and we're the only we're pretty much the only offering that offers it at zero sugar and zero net carbs and so we've we've got a, a great product that that can serve a lot of different uh consumer segments
0: Great stuff, Tom. Uh, we'll let you go with uh, giving out your website where people can find the Hello Water.
2: Yeah, you know, in in, in the Chicago area, uh, Jewel, Osco, uh Pete's Fresh Market, Target, Walmart. Uh, if you're outside of Chicago, you can look us up at HelloWater.com, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram with the uh, with the name at Drink Hello.
0: Fantastic! Hey, congratulations on uh, what you've developed, and uh, wish you all the success. So we always like hearing. Uh, about the new and innovative products here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Tom Bushke of Hello Water. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate it, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. We're going to come back after this break, and it's our Ask the Doctor segment. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and this week's co-host, Dr. Nick Verma, subbing for Dr. Brian Cole only on 670, the score. Time now as we're back on Sports Medicine Weekly. It's our Ask the Doctor segment Giving listeners the opportunity to have our doctors, Dr. Nick Verma with me today, address their specific sports injury issues. It's very easy to get involved. Go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, and you can go to the homepage on our website. Look for the picture of Dr. Brian Cole and yours truly. Click on that link, and you can ask the doctor a question. Again, Dr. Nick Verma, head team physician for the Chicago White Sox and orthopedic surgeon for Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Uh, our co-host this week, subbing for Dr. Brian Cole. Ready to go with the Ask the Doc,
1: Nick? Absolutely. All Let's right, first it.
0: question. You know this one, I know. Um, I'm a 16-year-old high school volleyball player and tore my ACL during a serve in my last game. So this young woman asks, I'm getting surgery in September. How long is a typical recovery for this
1: type of surgery? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, I'm sorry to hear about the injury. It's It's really a devastating injury in youth sports that we have to deal with on a fairly frequent basis particularly in our, our uh, female youth athletes, who interestingly are somewhere between three to six times more likely to sustain an ACL injury than, than their male counterparts. You know, this is a great question because we used to think about this in terms of months from recovery, and you would typically hear that it's a six-month recovery to get back to sports after uh, this type of event. But what we're really learning is that there's much more than time that goes into the determining when a player is ready to go back after sports, and, and that is based on A, their readiness to play, B, is their safety to play or risk of re-injury, and C, is their ability to to go back and play and perform at a level that's appropriate for them to be um, in a competitive situation. What we're finding is that there are ways to measure this, and we use something at uh, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, Dr. Cole and I, uh, called a functional sports assessment. And basically what that does is it's a series of tests that takes about an hour to do where we ask the athlete to do things like step up onto a block, to jump down off of a block. We measure them cutting and pivoting. We take objective measurements regarding their strength in one leg compared to the other. And what we've learned over time is that you can actually look at the results of those that type of testing and predict who's at, injury, who's at increased injury risk as they go back. And what's even more amazing is we can predict not only who's at increased risk of re-injury to their operative leg, but who's at risk of injury to their opposite leg. And then probably the most important part is that we have the ability now to design a specific set of exercises to correct some of the problems that we see on this functional assessment to take an individual who's in a high-risk group and put them into a low-risk group. So we can never take injury out of sports, whether it's volleyball, football, uh, tennis, anything that involves really high levels of athletic activity, but we are learning that we can start to modify ACL risk to identify when patients are go back at a safe level and also to make sure that we're not sending them back when they're at risk for a re-injury or an injury to the opposite leg. If we think about timeframes, what I tell my patients is that generally patients are ready to go back to place somewhere between six to nine months after their surgery. But really, it's probably a full year before patients feel like their knee is performing as well as it was before the injury, and like they're back in the game uh, mentally and physically. So those are just some guidelines. But I would really encourage you to talk to your doctor about this functional assessment as you get ready to go back to your sport to make sure you're, you're fully back in the game.
0: Full of very common injuries, the ACLs, both for uh, men, women, boys, and girls. We're out of time for this edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our producer, Shane Reardon, our coordinating producer, as always, Tracy Torrell. Also want to thank David Cole for managing our website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Nick Verma, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly And up next here on The Score, Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. We'll be back with you next week on Saturday, another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly only on 670 The Score.